<laughs> Can you keep it on that side? Is it fun? Because um, of impermanence, because of the truth of impermanence, uh, learning how to really be in the present moment, be connected but not taking it personally, is a, it's learning how to do that is a very delicate process. It's much harder than we're told. <laughs> Um, and I was reading a book recently called The Light in August by Faulkner, William Faulkner. And um, this is just part of a, a sentence that he's describing a woman on a long wagon ride. And um, he said it. It's as if she were listening to something very far away or so near to be inside her. And I think that that's a very amazing description of how that delicacy feels, how you can experience it. Is it like when you're listening and you're listening to something or you're trying to hear something really far away but actually you're trying to hear something totally close that's the present moment that's a description in a very poetic way 
And it's because that each moment is newborn. Uh, the Pali word for meditation is called bhavana. And it, it means giving birth to wisdom. So meditation is called or described as giving birth to wisdom. And again, you know that giving birth has that quality of, um, at times, labor. This is from um, another one of Thoreau's journals. He's describing walking. You must walk so gently as to hear the finest sounds, the faculties being in repose. Your mind must not perspire. (laughs) And that's so beautiful. It's such a great description of you know, we can try too hard, right? Or we can give up. And there's that balance of repose and not respiring. But the faculties being in such refinement. So I wanted to just... um, remind us of that description of mindfulness of Suzuki Roshi where he describes mindfulness as soft readiness Um, because it's helpful to tune into that description and then think of what the opposite of that is so soft readiness that, that strength of being ready for anything to happen because every moment is newborn, every moment is changing. So that that requires not that hardness of fixed opinion, but the softness, the openness to what will happen next because anything can happen next. So the opposite of that is wanting control. soft readiness uh, you can think of readiness as a kind of fearless brightness for life itself so there's a kind of um, tyranny of expectation yeah, there's a there's a way in which um, when we when we don't see the agendas we have or the expectation, we don't see that actually um, that kills connection. And when we look at the kind of um, basic way that attention works, the first part of Um, a moment or moments of concentration is a recollecting of the attention. The attention has to recollect itself and then connect with something. 
a sound, a sight, a smell, a taste, a touch, a thought. Uh, that that's the first part of a moment of concentration. It, in Pali, it's called vitaka, but it's it's this ability to connect the attention. And then, because life is moving, the next part of being with what is the, this ability to be with life as it's changing. The attention connects, and then the, the practice or training is one of sustaining the attention. So hence, you know, lifting, moving, placing, you try to connect the attention with the beginning of a step. And that's hard enough, right? They're considered two distinct um, training, the connection and then the sustaining, the connection and then the sustaining. Hard beginning of, say, I want to stand up. There's the beginning of it, but then do we do we sustain it through all the way standing up? The beginning of a breath, sustaining it through the middle and the end. So that ability to hear the beginning of the sound of a blue jay all the way through the middle or the end. It's the same practice, whether it's a sound, a sight, a smell, a taste, a touch, a thought, an emotion. And of course, that training with like a step or some body sensations or the breath is meant to help us when it's the beginning, middle, end of fear appearing or the beginning, middle, end of happiness or enthusiasm. So that that, that the quality of concentration is the same in, in anything that appears in life. You know, there's that ability to sustain the attention with the beginning, middle, end of our life. So we notice how hard it is to notice the end of the breath. It's just as hard to notice aging. You know, it's whether it's ourselves or another, it's easy to start with the beginning of a step or the beginning of a breath or the beginning of fear. How many of us notice the end? So to, you know, bring us back to expectation or agenda, it's like when we have some idea of what we think should be happening, then we can't connect and sustain with what actually is happening. And that's why I'm saying it kills, it kills connection, but it actually kills the possibility for joy. Any kind of joy. So in a way, you could see that it um, boils down to wanting to control or wanting to connect. And we, again, we're not trained to even <laughs> understand that, sadly. So when we incarnate, we're born into uh, a, 
a very um, changeable world from moment to moment. Uh, so you could see it as um, we're born into these doors. They're called doors or sensitivities. So we're born into the ear sensitivity or door. And th- these words, you know, translations are translations, but they're fascinating because they're implying something, right? There's a hole here. You know, it's connecting us some, somewhere. We're not isolated, right? So the ear door, the eye door, so that light, we're actually connecting with light at our eye or color. It's not outside, far away. It's right at the eyes. The sound touches the ear. The, the smell touches the nose. The nose doesn't go out there. It, it stays here. The smell or the taste is at the, the, the tongue door, the tongue sensitivity. Um, and we don't always contemplate, wow, you know, this ear is so sensitive. It's picking up the speed of sound. And we're asking you to be mindful of that. We're asking you to connect with the speed of sound just as it's happening, the textures, the vibrations, not going up into a concept about it and separating from that, which is a kind of breaking. It stops reality. So we, we're saying, see if you can stay with that a bit non-conceptually. And the same with every sense door, the, the speed of light, the seeing. What, what is very, um, a big leap for us, I think, modern, modern trained people is that we don't always think of the mind as at the heart center. So we tend to think of the mind at the brain versus uh, at the heart. And that this mind or the heart center is called the mind door. And it, it's, um, this is where we, um, Initially, seeing consciousness happens at the mind door. Hearing consciousness happens at the mind door. Knowing, hearing, knowing, smelling, knowing, tasting, and thought. Um, and it's not that the, the practice is not um, taught that you just sit there trying to observe thought. There's a really good reason for it try it for two seconds or five seconds and it's like the, the thought is moving so quickly that you can't train the, the mind with we talk or we charia it's just it's like going so unbelievably fast faster than a jet faster than sound faster than light um, and yet we need to at least reflect on how sensitive the mind is and then you know well, why do we hurt? Why do we feel joy? Why do we hurt? Well, we this is just this vast consciousness that is happening all the time. The, the Buddha also taught with each moment of consciousness, each moment of hearing, it's happening right now, hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking. Each moment there's a, also a simultaneous corresponding mental feeling that's pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And that is, it's, the Pali word is Vedana. It's like that's rolling really fast. 
really fast. So if a thought comes through your mind, oh, I don't like that tree. You can't, you couldn't control that that thought came. It's too fast. We don't like this. I mean, we don't, we didn't design this. Whoever designed this wasn't us, right? But it's, whatever, whatever the design is, it's fast. Or if the, if the sound hits your ear door, it's going to be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral before you can't control it. So, etc. This is something, please don't believe what I'm saying. Check it out. <laughs> it's awesome even to consider. Uh, Krishnamurti said this about meditation in one of his journals. He described meditation as this, just to be vulnerable, just to be sensitive, like that newborn leaf that was born yesterday, to face rain, wind, darkness, and light. And so this is what we mean by that this is not a state-oriented practice. It's learning to be impartial toward rain, wind, darkness, and light, etc. You know, how life is, how life is. And that expression, just to be vulnerable, just to be sensitive, if you look at my conditioning it was to just despise being sensitive to just despise being vulnerable just that that it's it's not just dislike or hate but just that that's not okay and yet that's actually how it is So, some of the practice is learning how to pay attention with momentary segments, because that gives us courage. You know, so we're not saying, be mindful of the breath all day. We're saying, try, try the rising movement, <laughs> and with some humor, right? It's like, ha, 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 ha. You know, we can barely do that once in a while, right? That's, that's why this takes courage. That's why we break it down into such a small piece. Okay, you know, I don't try to get from here to that door mindfully. I try to, I try to manage to get up mindfully. But I've learned that. I've learned that so deeply that I wouldn't even remotely try to get from here to that door mindfully. That would be so depressing. (laughs) (laughs) And it doesn't bring courage. It brings, you know, like a feeling like you can't do it because we've been, we've created a, a situation of such a long time. And when we create that kind of long time, it's very stressful. The more we're caught in time, the more stressful it is. The less we're caught in time, the more time you have, and the less stressful it is. So you you live with these momentary segments where recovering timelessness. We're accessing timelessness, which is always there. 
we're just so caught up in time we don't even know that it's possible. So momentary segments, meaning you try to take one bite of food, you know, and it's really kind of funny. It's like, can you do it? Well, probably not that time. Let's try again. That, you know, that's why it's called practice. It's practice. It's practice because, it, again, it takes an enormous amount of humor to just go, whoa, what? Missed that one. Okay. You know, just it's that challenging to be here. It's that delicate. And we wonder, you know, at times, well, why is this so hard? You know, but it's it's like it's moving so fast. I saw a show on um, PBS years ago where this woman, an artist, had um, decided to make her own tightrope and went to some shipyards um, and learned how to make rope. And then she... Um, tied it between two trees and she filmed herself doing this and you watched her learning how to walk on the tightrope and it was so wonderful to watch because what you see and what you learned as you you learned with her what you saw is that balance was letting yourself be out of balance that every moment that you that she wanted to have control over a step she'd fall but if she just let herself be recovering balance and, and just moving, she was able to walk on the tightrope. And that's how a few seconds of life are. There's a sound, there's a thought, there's a body sensation, there's a thought. <coughs> Ten minutes later, oh, where was I? <laughs> you can usually trace it. And there's, it, it's like, this is not something to go, oh, I'm not good at this. This is not it. It's like, oh, you just notice what, what thought brought us off. It's just thinking. What you learn over time is you learn that the less you judge going off, the less energy you're expending judging yourself for going off, the more energy is accessible to actually come back. So it's not how much you're going off, it's how much you're coming back. And that just starts to, I can show it to you kinesthetically, the the attention just prefers to come back, and then it starts becoming almost invisible. It's so fast. You don't even see it most of the time. It's just there's a a taste for coming back sometimes. (laughs) This past spring, um, I was teaching in British Columbia and then Massachusetts, and uh, it's kind of a dense schedule, and often I think, oh, but I'm going to have some rest when I get home. That's sort of how I do some things. Um, And I was flying home on June 8th, and I got a little message on my voicemail that there had been a little, a little fire at my house. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned out there was a, a very big fire in my house. The, the walls, ceilings, floors, like pretty, the structures there. But it was massive, and you know the cleaners had to wear gas masks for a week. You know, mm-hmm. just everything 
had to be taken out, everything. You know, it's pretty significant. Um, and then, uh, so it was just kind of a jam. And that wasn't a rest. Ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. You know, and life does that sometimes, right? It presents us with what we don't want to have happen. Um, and what was so interesting is that Jesse um, flew to meet me July 27th or 8th uh, in New Mexico to teach a retreat. So I flew from Hawaii. He flew from Massachusetts. He was teaching a retreat in Massachusetts. Um, and in the meditation hall up in northern New Mexico, uh, they have the teachers sit in front of this huge stone fireplace, really old. And it's just charred. It's like they don't use it. It's just black soot everywhere. And it's, it's just like the house, right? And so it was really interesting. I just, I didn't even notice at first what was going on for me because, you know, you come in and bow and I'd be like, wow, something's really off. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't even feel it. That's how intense it was the first day I, I was bowing. And I'm like, wow. Jeez, I couldn't even notice. And then the next day I was like, oh, black soot, right? It's <laughs> so like, wow, that, that, that black soot everywhere it was so traumatic. You know, and I couldn't, I just watched that day after day. It was great because it was a 10 day retreat, and partway through it was just like, oh yeah, the bowing. For me, the bowing is always that surrender to how things are that simple you know I feel like I've bowed through almost everything but not that so it was kind of cool you know just that the translation for bowing is Anjali and on the deepest level it means you're making a, a full offering of your body and mind basically it's just an offering of yourself to life itself um, and so that was that's such an interesting thing. You can bow through low back pain, coming back after it being away a long time, or knee pain. You can bow to, you know, some tremendous fear that might be coming up, or boredom. But I can t- say that over years, you learn that there's something very profound about that process. Uh, so that that was that retreat. And then coming in here... Um, I, I have to say, this is such a beautiful altar. You know, it's just so simple and so beautiful. Um, and so I came in to bow, and then it was like, mm, the similar thing was going on for me. And I was like, oh, my mom died when I was young, and gladiolas were her favorite flower. And I don't live in the north anymore. And so I just, like, after a few bows, it was like, oh, <laughs> what a beautiful um, memory in the present moment. And then the sadness and then the joy. So I'm, I'm describing this because sometimes we think we have to get rid of memory or rid of the personal. It's not like that. You don't try to stop what happens. Maybe for some people, they come in and they don't even see the flowers. That's fine. Some people might think, it is, it's a beautiful Buddha. Or maybe you don't like it, it's fine. Whatever happens is fine. But the idea is that you learn how to just get out of the way and let life flow. 
But it's that balance between not getting lost in the storyline and noticing what might be really happening, right? So it, it, that's delicate. It's an art because it's not like you're trying to, you're not trying to crush the thoughts. You're not trying to get rid of them. But it's really hard to learn how to see them clearly and not get lost in them and then start trying to figure something out. You let it just flow, and if you're getting lost, you realize you're trying to figure out, or you're trying to dig something out, you're trying to get rid of something or want something, you come back and anchor. So many, many years ago, somewhere in the early mid-80s, I um, came up with an an acronym for aspects of mindfulness, and it's called RAIN. (laughs) Um, And what's funny is that it's kind of getting out in the world here and there, uh, but since I came up with that acronym, I actually feel like I teach a lot of nuances to it that aren't out there. And um, recently I got an email about this, so Yesterday, Jesse and I were trying to um, come up with another anacronym that kind of fills it out. So um, I uh, just wanted to share that because it's kind of interesting um, and fun. So the whole, the whole rain, the whole picture is called raindrop. <laughs> Rather than just rain. Um, so I'd like to describe this um, in some with some nuance. I hope uh, so. R for rain. R is recognition. And so when we're talking about we talk we chara, we're not even talking necessarily yet about this kind of recognition. But it it's included in it. Where if you look at a moment of being here. It actually requires a lot of nuance. It's not just recollecting the attention or connecting it. It requires some recognition. So hearing is recognition. And it can seem so simple, but it's extremely elegant. It's so elegant to just go, oh, hearing's happening. Or, oh, sadness is happening. And we don't have to think, why am I sad? It's not, it's recognition is just, oh, sadness. Fine. You see the difference? And that's the elegance of it. It's beautiful. We are so not trained in it. So our recognition, and if you look the way the mind or the heart body recognizes something, it will be a process of um, relaxing, that the, the attention is not hard. The attention starts to relax, soften, and recognize. The A is acceptance. Sometimes um, some people uh, find more of an attunement to the word allowing. 
rather than acceptance. Um, acceptance doesn't mean condoning. It means just connecting with the truth that something's happening. And we, um, I'll go through the opposites at a moment, but the I is interest or investigation. And the N is, I think the hardest for most of us to understand, it's non-identification. So to describe these without describing the opposites tends to paint a picture that is not always um, so workable for us. So the opposites of rain are drop. So D, the opposite of recognition, uh, is delusion. But there's many ways you could describe that because different words work differently for us. So it could be that distractedness works better for us than delusion. Um, I have a whole bunch of them actually. Um, being spaced out zonked <laughs> the word this, this afternoon is not not seeing clearly spaced out you know, and um, the opposite of acceptance is is uh, resistance but we could also think of um, denial repression suppression as the opposite of acceptance. The O, um, we were really struggling with raindrop or rain drip. We decided on those. Um, obliviousness. <laughs> Instead of interest, there's an obliviousness. Uh, but it, you could also see there are many flavors to that, such as boredom or indifference or apathy. And then the N, non-identification, there's a um, personification, permanence, um, possessiveness, uh, believing we can control. Uh, So the opposites I find more and more important to um, emphasize because they're a natural defense to our sensitivity. They're like a natural defense to the vulnerability. They're a natural defense to the stream of, of change, of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So, of course, we wouldn't even be having this conversation if there wasn't pain in this world, if it was all just pleasant and we could control it. But that's not how life is. So this is the defense is really um, that, that vulnerability. So if we look at it again, um, you can see how um, spacing out is such an amazing defense. And if we think it's bad or wrong, as Jesse was saying earlier today, you're going to not want to be mindful. If, if you don't have the permission to spaced out, space out, your system isn't going to trust you. It's not an invitation to be here to hate spacing up. It's more of an invitation to rebel and not want to be here. So that kindness, this is where the kindness comes in. The kindness allows us to grow in this. 
and to actually want to be here. Because if you space out and you come back and you go, why would you want to come back? There'd be no reason to. It would hurt too much. It won't be kind enough. So that, that relationship between recognition, kindness, and then the acceptance, right? That when you do show up, you know, usually when we do show up, we think, well, I should be able to control it if I've managed to show up, right? And so <laughs> we go off again, right? You know, there's that sense of, ah, um, oh, hard, right? So if we don't allow the resistance, and the question this afternoon around the repetitive thought, you know, it's like, resistance is very slippery, and it's an amazing protection. It's an amazing protection. It's so slippery, most of us can't see it. So it takes this incredible patience if we have a repetitive thought pattern. The patience to just notice it, come back to our body, and not try to dig anything out. Just come back to our body, make space for whatever's there, and if your body and mind and heart trust you, it will eventually appear. But say it's fear, and it starts to dare show itself, and you go, I got rid of you two years ago, honey. (laughs) Right? What kind of relationship is that? Is that fear going to feel safe? No. It's not going to show up probably for another year. (laughs) Right? You got it locked down there. You know, it's like that's not a relationship of trust. So we think that, you know, we're really kind and open and not cruel. But if you start looking at some of our, um, what we're resisting and how we're resisting it, and you listen to our mind, the thoughts, boy, we can be so cruel. friend that um, I worked with on staff at a meditation center in 1978 that um, moved to Honolulu where I I lived and uh, he was busy at work for many years and he he came to a retreat where um, we were teaching a lot of kindness (coughs) with the the Vipassana and he said that he had been doing Vipassana for 20 years without the kindness and he said it was like standing in the sun for 20 years without feeling any warmth Mm -hmm. that's so sad so resistance um and uh, kindness, <laughs> allowing the resistance to be there. So you see how important it is. If we just talk about acceptance, when most of the time resistance is happening, why aren't we here? You know, if you look at how hard it is to be mindful, then we have to kind of at least grasp that resistance is actually happening a lot. And it doesn't like to be seen directly. Um, so it takes that care and tenderness um, and patience and the build up of trust and that trust happens through not trying to rush 
or crush or push push the resistance, but to let it lead the way. Interest. None. Of, uh, by the way, none of these we can force. They're not under our command. But you'll notice that interest will tend to appear if we have enough energy. And so, you know, usually the first day of retreat, we might not be that interested. <laughs> Much, you know, or the next day, you know, because of the, you know, the energy is just getting us to be here. Um, but you'll notice over some time that this interest has nothing to do with picking and choosing. It has to do with being with what is. So the interest uh, breaks the pleasure pain syndrome. So interest, in this case, is interest in, in something painful or pleasurable or neutral. Like interest in boredom is awesome, right? It's such a... It's such an oxymoron. You can't even imagine it, but it can happen. And it's really, once you've tasted interest, you can think it should happen more. But to be careful with letting boredom be okay. It's just that the attention is, there's low energy, not high energy. Um... And you have that ability to just be here in an ordinary way. It's learning to be mindful in a very ordinary way. We might walk out of this room with the attention very open and just know we're walking very lightly, um, not, not trying to force anything. Or just knowing you're sitting... And also indifference, you know, we tend to think that indifference or numbness is not feeling anything, but it's actually an emotion. And it's an, it's an emotion to be respected and cared about. With my particular nervous system, I, I don't um, have the opportunity to experience numbness uh, or indifference as often as I would like. And uh, <laughs> so whenever I notice it happen, I'm so excited. Really. It's like because I, I really feel like a lot of my life I was taught that indifference or numbness is not an emotion. And when it comes up, it's so clear to me that it's an emotion. You know, and it's just a choice. It's a choice that happens that we don't have much control over, but certainly it's wonderful. You're not feeling anything. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I love it. For me, when it happens, I'm like, hallelujah. <laughs> I know it's a defense, but it's, um, I love the opportunity to understand it. I'm not saying it feels wonderful by any means, really, but it, it's um, to understand that if you look at our iris, for example, 
with light and darkness. It's opening and closing. It's natural. And the heart center is so sensitive that it, it opens and closes. It's natural. And if we don't have that ability, it's and you don't have mindfulness, it's it's not that helpful. So the, the idea... I haven't quite finished yet, but I'll go into this now anyway. Um, the idea is that you gradually replace these defenses with mindfulness. So you're gradually replacing resistance with acceptance. You're gradually replacing spacing out with recognition. You're gradually replacing indifference or apathy or obliviousness with interest. You're gradually replacing um, taking things personally, personification, um, with non-identification, not taking things personally. And that the non-identification um, really can be talked about a lot because I think it's one of the um, defenses that um, you know, wanting the pleasant to last or wanting something pleasant to be happening or even the not wanting boredom to be happening or not wanting to be depressed or, you know, whatever it is we're not wanting or wanting that is actually um, it's not that the heart is numb it's actually contracting and that contraction really hurts and the reason it hurts is because life is actually moving along on its own so the pleasant actually did pass or the pleasant actually isn't happening we're kind of like little kids you know it's like <laughs> oh, it just isn't happening the way we don't you know, want it to be. So it actually, life did move, and yet we're still there holding on. Or it moved, and we're, and we're pushing away something painful. And this is where the, uh, this practice and what the Buddha taught is uh, teaching us that we don't have to have that extra suffering. There's a um, quite an old couple that got into this meditation practice recently, but they're really pretty old. But my idea of old is changing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, old is 85. No, they're old. No, 70s not old. But you know, they started practicing late in life, and um, this whole idea of they were more new agey and not so into opening to pain <laughs> as well as pleasure, you know. Um, but they're having so many physical stuff, like so much pain. And um, so they started doing this practice and they went to Thailand to the lake retreat, which is pretty challenging physically and really got into it. And they came home and uh, she fell and had to be um, helicoptered from our island, the big island, to the hospital in Honolulu. Uh, and the um, experience that she had of understanding that there was the physical pain in her knee, but that she didn't have to add any other mental suffering onto it was huge. Like, so liberating. And she was so impressive to the 
you know, medics on the airplane, the, the helicopter, and in the hospital. It's like she really, really worked at it. It wasn't like it was a breeze, but she kept working with it, knowing that there was the aversion to the physical pain and just the pain. And um, it was so inspiring, actually. It's not that she doesn't have more physical pain to face in life, but she's starting to get that she doesn't have to have that extra suffering. So the um, acceptance of the defenses are often a lot where we work in life. So the acceptance of the boredom or the acceptance of the impatience or the acceptance of the identification. And a lot of where we learn these um, ways of being, I know for me, I learned a lot by just noting lifting, moving, spacing. <laughs> lifting, moving, spacing, just like that level of acceptance again and again and again and having some humor with it. <laughs> and I, I don't know if I need to talk about this part too much, but to know that these lists like rain or drop or raindrop, they're not a checklist at all. They're not meant to be. They're meant to be more of a watercolor than a, a, a hard oil painting. You know, that it's it's much more fluid. But we know that if laying, if those aspects are all present, we're really protected and safe. And when the whole drop is happening, we are not protected and safe. But the defense is the protection at that point, and that's okay. So, for example, indifference is a fine defense, right? We're not saying that they're bad or wrong. It's more just to know that we're not able to be with life as it is. So the more we're connected with how life is, the more protected and safe we are. That's that's what I mean by that. Of course, the defenses work as best they can. to this a little bit more, but one of the great defenses is doubt, and um, just to look at it in relationship to what rain, drought, it's like we tend to doubt life or ourselves or others um, when we believe we can control. So again, don't, don't believe what I say about it, but just when you have doubt come up and then the fear that goes along with that, it's like it's that 
you can look back and usually see that doubt will arise when something painful has happened and we think that we should have been able to prevent it. There's a um, say it out in Burma that means uh, um, the term say it out usually means an abbot of a monastery, but usually means somebody um, highly practiced but also um, very studied. It requires a lot of study as well as practice. And there's a um, Seda made, Seda Ujodika who I had read a book of his letters to somebody. I actually knew the person that the letters were going back and forth of. And, um, it, the book is called Snow in the Summer. And I always loved the book because Ujodaka sounded so non-judgmental. You know, something very beautiful. And when I started to learn more about him, he was um, raised Muslim in Burma which is not very easy. And um, he became a Buddhist monk. But when he was a kid, he he was really picked on a lot and really struggled. Um, and he's such a gentle spirit, very kind. So I went to see him uh, for the first time two years ago in this year. And when I went in to see him this year, he just kind of talks. He doesn't... Um, retreats and he started talking about how um, he still makes a lot of mistakes you know and he's about five years older than me so he was just talking about how you know he just still makes a lot of mistakes and his daughter uh, one of his daughters uh, takes care of him <laughs> and, he, and he looked at her and he's like you know and I still say things that aren't so nice to you, don't I? And she's like, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that honesty was so beautiful. You know, it was just, it's simple, but it's beautiful to hear from someone. And then he said, you know, when you get old, nobody wants to hear all of your physical ailments. And then he started telling me all this. <laughs> 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 it was so, was so great. <laughs> oh. So I, it re- that just that willingness to say that he still makes the same mistakes, which is like when you get old, that tends to be what's left. Is that you know that those that encrusted part that is um, <laughs> just not. Still resisting, right? <laughs> still, still resisting. So I like that he said it. And uh, there's a quotation from a woman named Sybil Burkhauser Ori in a book called The Mother Archetypal Image in Fairy Tales. She says, um, Again and again, 
we learn that it is precisely the mistakes we make and the difficulties we experience which force us to develop in ways we would not otherwise have chosen. And I think that's such an important thing for us, whether we're judging our own or we're judging others, that if you take that bigger view, this is so compassionate for all of us. When I was um, saying goodbye to Sarah Jodaka, um, he said, I want to be mindful until I die because it makes me so joyful. Very, very elegant, yeah, that elegance, that simplicity, but boy, the transmission. Um, just that joy of um, wanting to be free and knowing you can be free that that brings us the greatest joy so it's it for me Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.